Acts the 20th chapter, and we're going to begin reading in the 24th verse. And it says this, and we're going to look at uh, Paul's life, what Paul did. And, and notice this, he, and this is Paul here speaking. He said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy, not just finish, finish with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord. So he received a responsibility, he received a course, and he said, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm going to have to not count my life dear unto myself to be able to do this and finish this course, finish this race that's set before me. He said to testify of the, of the gospel of the grace or God's, uh, what God bestowed on us in Christ. Turn to Hebrews 13, and we'll look at, like I said, just a couple of verses to introduce this real quick to give us a basis. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. And this is a real interesting verse because it comes after the 12th chapter and after the 11th chapter, which we know those chapters talk about all these examples of faith and people who did certain things. Then the 12th chapter talks about running a race. Each person is in a race, has a course set out by God, and then he makes this statement in the 13th chapter, in the 7th verse. He said, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. And all these statements are important. Whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct or their manner or type of life. So he said, the person you are to follow needs to have a certain kind of life. But here's the thing. What if I just follow anybody's life? I go, I like them, I like them, I like them. He said something real big here. He said, you have to consider their outcome. So you wouldn't necessarily always put at the pinnacle of who you follow somebody young. Would you? No, because they haven't gone far yet. They may be working right things, but they haven't gone far yet. So he said, you've got to consider the outcome of their life, and then it's safe to follow their example if they got to the right place. That's what he's saying. Consider it. Didn't he just say that? Remember those who rule over you, have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct, or literally means life and lifestyle. In other words, how did they do in this whole life? How did they end up? Where did they end up? He said, those people, then you should follow their faith. He didn't say follow them per se, because we follow the Lord. But if these people are following the Lord and doing it, then it's a safe thing. Notice uh, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And like I said, we'll introduce this real quick. And why we are going to do what we're going to do probably for quite a number of weeks. 1 Timothy 4 says this, in the, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And it says this. Verse 8, we'll 
Well, we'll start in verse 6. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, he's talking in Old Testament terms, but he's talking about his life. He's come to the end of his life, and it says this, I'm, I'm, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He said, the time of my departure as is at hand. So remember, we're to follow somebody's faith considering the outcome of their life. Considering where their faith or their pattern brought them. And so he's talking now in terms of the end of his life. He's traveled this course. You know, you can read through the book of Acts and see where Paul went, what he did, how he did things, and in other places. And so he said, my departure is at hand. So we want to know where he went when he departed and how he got there and what, where did he end up? He said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Have you ever watched a race, maybe NASCAR or something like that, and you're like, that's my favorite driver. About halfway through, you follow him. And halfway through, he gets in a wreck and he doesn't go on any further. Would you want to follow his example? Now, you might follow him because you like him in that aspect, but that's not the example you want. Smashing fenders, no bueno for finishing. Right? And so he said here, I have fought the good fight. He didn't say a good fight. He said it's the good fight. So it's all the same fight for every person. Whatever I face, you'll face. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, he was still going with the Lord at the end. How many want to keep going with the Lord till the end? But not only keep going with the Lord to the end, but keep going to, with the Lord to the end and finish the race. Cross the goal, right? Notice this. Uh, he said, verse 8, Finally, we would say in conclusion or now, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's an interesting statement because in the Bible, Christians can get different crowns for what they do here on the earth. And he said, finally, this crown. Well, what was he talking about qualifications? Finishing the race, going the full course, staying the staying the the path. And he said, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me only, but also all those who loved his appearing or when he appears. So there are different crowns, but it's interesting. He said, now there's a crown laid up. I've finished. Well, by these statements right here, we are to look purposely for examples of how not just to start, not just how to go for a while, but we're to look at examples and find examples how we can get all the way to the end correctly so that we fulfill the plan, do the will of God, and, and there's a crown then laid up for us. It's interesting because maybe there's certain people who made it to heaven, but certain crowns weren't laid up. Certain people made it to heaven, but maybe didn't finish their course. 
we, we probably all know that, right? They, they just went through their life and they started doing their own thing and living their own way and, and, and they died and they went to heaven and man, that's awesome. But there's something to be said about what we get there based on what we do here. You don't get there based on, so to speak, what you do here. I mean, if you don't get saved, you don't get there. But what we do, the Bible said this, is either wood, hay, or stubble. Gold, silver, or precious stones. And all of our work will be tried with fire. And whatever is left at the end, when you get there, that's what you'll be rewarded for. And he said, and if nothing remains, you'll still get in because you're saved. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just get in. Because what I do here, I know matters more than just me. What if I got saved and decided not to follow God's plan? None of you would be here, or there would be somebody else God sent here. And so, we know that our own obedience is far-reaching, even though the enemy will talk people out of it. Well, what you do doesn't matter. What, what you do as an individual has no consequence to anybody else. That is flat a lie. And we're all at different places on our journey with God. And so with these examples, we're going to look and follow or see what Paul did. And then we're going to follow or learn how to follow these examples. Here's the thing. If, if we're sitting here in the parking lot today and uh, we're going to send some people off out of our church on this journey. And they're going to California. And we got four people leave. And we say, bye. We love you. Here's a loaf of bread or whatever, and off they go. And away they go, and they just head off, and we wave. And then next week we come back, and they're still traveling. A week later, they're still traveling. We get report. One of them ended up in New Mexico. We'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And then another one ended up in Mexico. No, those are both nice places. And then another one ended up in Canada. And only the fourth one made it to California. Now, if we all then need to travel to California, whose footsteps are we going to follow? We loved all four of them. Maybe one of them was our relative. But I ain't following Uncle Larry to New Mexico if I'm wanting to go to California. And so we're not idolizing the guy who made it to California. We just recognized he did something to get him to a certain destination that now we all want to get to. So it would be good to evaluate his life. And it probably wouldn't be bad to evaluate the other people's lives because the Bible talks about how we can learn from other people's failures. A wise man does. So in other words, if they left and turned left out of the parking lot and that guy ended up in New Mexico, we go, we love him. We love them a lot, but we don't follow their example. We'll pray for them that they maybe will start traveling from New Mexico to California, but I ain't going there to, to go rescue them. Praise the Lord. So with that being said, we're going to look at some stuff that Paul did that we can all do. Now here's what we need to understand. We're not idolizing Paul. But Paul even said this to the Philippian church. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. We want to follow the right things that he did. One thing about Paul's life is there is nobody in the New Testament. 
that there's more detail about their motives, their actions, what they did from their introduction to coming to know the Lord to the time they died than Paul. None. And there aren't other people who said, you know, I finished my course. I ran my race. I made it to the end the proper way. So you start looking at those things and you have to say, well, then what did he do? And if I repeat those things, then I can come to the same conclusion or the same place. But here's what we need to understand. I and you are not going to go to the exact places Paul went to. Nor are we going to do the exact same things Paul did in the sense of, you know, go on certain missionary journeys up through, you know, Italy or different areas. Somebody said, well, I'd like to go there. Well, that's great, but, you know, you'll probably go by plane. He didn't. You know what I mean by that? And you're probably not going to be shipwrecked a bunch of times. But we're not trying to do exactly what Paul did but look at the things that drove Paul, the motives, the actions, the attitudes he had toward the Lord and to what the Lord had to say. These are huge. And if we look at these, and I was amazed what's actually in there concerning how he dealt with people and all kinds of things, we can be successful. So you ready to start? And we'll just go into this real quick and then we'll pick it up with greater time next week. Turn to Acts the ninth chapter. Acts, the ninth chapter, and we're going to begin here with Paul's introduction when he came to know the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. His life totally changed. And what's interesting, when he came to the Lord, uh, it, it was fascinating what happened to him. See, he had been religious. He had been following his own plan, doing his own way, and, and actually thinking he was doing God's service by the things he was doing, but he was actually laying waste to the church. He was, he, and he thought he was doing God some good stuff. And it's interesting, here's our introduction to Paul's conversion. Acts 9, uh, verse 3, when he gave his life to the Lord. It says, uh, verse 3, As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round, uh, around him from heaven. This was the glory of God. This wasn't like a street light. He rode under or walked under and went, whoa, light. No, this was God's power. Got so strong, this bright, glorious light appeared, the glory of God. And it said, and then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you attacking me? But he had not personally ever attacked the Lord. But the Lord took it personal when he attacked the church. And then it says this, and that's who Paul was persecuting. And he said, this is the first thing Paul said in his deep experience with the Lord. And he said, who are you? Who, who are you? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said to him, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad is like a, you know what a, a, a prod is? You know one of those things you poke in the fire that's got the little hook on it with the little spiky thing on the end? Well, they look like that, but they're bigger for an animal to just poke them and get them moving or use the hook and stick it in their fur and, or their skin and jerk them. And remember, he used to wear sandals back there. So Paul's introduction, he said, who are you? 
said, I'm the Lord, and it's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, you're just doing this. This, this isn't working, Paul. That's what he was doing. So notice what he said to him. He said, so he trembling and astonished in verse 6 said, Lord, what then do you want me to do? Two things in his introduction that governed his life. Paul continually told the last letter he wrote said, I want to know the Lord. He prayed, he sought him, he knew him personally, and he wanted to make him known. First thing he said, who are you, Lord? Anybody who's going to journey with the Lord and fulfill the call of God on their life and what God's plan is. And when I say call, a lot of people think it's about what you go do some big thing one day. That is so wrong. It's what you do every day because it's a race, it's a path. And so when you're fulfilling a call in the Lord, it's actually a path. It's the steps you take today. That's the call. You with me? And then when you move along, the Lord will direct you. And then I'll go do this. And then the Lord will direct you. And I'll go do this. But so many people are waiting for an event and don't realize their whole life is the event they've been looking for. And it's all about today. And so notice this. And though the Lord will talk to you about the future and share things with you. And so, so the Lord, so he says, and he was trembling. He said, what do you want me to do? So he came to know the Lord, and he kept wanting to know him more and more as he lived this life. But one thing that Paul kept his whole life is, what do you want me to do, Lord? His whole life. His whole life. That's one thing we can never get away from as, as Christians is we've given our lives to the Lord. We've grown some in the Lord. And it's not always, what do you want me to do, Lord? This is what I'm going to do, and, and that's it. He kept this to the end. Notice this in, in the book of Acts. We'll look at one more. Actually, Philippians, the first chapter. We'll go there. Philippians, the first chapter. So what do you want me to do is a good thing. You have to maintain that mentality. What do you want me to do? And when you find out, you should do it. He didn't just say, what do you want me to do? And then just do my own thing because I want to do my own thing. Here, and for the next two weeks, I believe we're going to talk about this subject. It's, it's fascinating, and it will help if you get certain things set, and, and we'll keep going, but about this subject that we're introducing right now. Notice this in Philippians, the first chapter. This is one of Paul's last letters. Uh, he's at the end of his life. He's been doing God's thing. Uh, making decisions based on not himself, but for the king and for the kingdom. And that was how he lived. And many times when we get in trouble, it's when we start not doing stuff unto the Lord, and we're not doing it for his kingdom, or we're not doing it for him. We start doing things as we please and the way we want. The way to live a joyful life and fulfill the plan is really to do it his way. You with me? And so... Notice this. This is amazing to me. 
Here's a guy who has been doing it from day one, sacrificing, going after it day after day, faced all kinds of hardships and, and attacks by people and attacks and by robbers and all different kinds of stuff. And here he is at the end of his life. And we'll begin reading here in Philippians 1, 21. It says this, uh, For to me, this is Paul talking, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So when I'm here, I'm living for the Lord, but if I die, that's a big gain. How many people think like that? You know, some people, when life gets hard, they're like, I'm thinking like that. But no, he just said, I know that if I die, if I leave, it's a gain. But notice he said, but if I live, this is how I live. I live for Christ. And then he said this in verse, verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. In other words, because I'm living for the Lord for you, it will produce fruit. It will get something into your life. Yet... What I shall choose, I cannot tell. What is this choice he's talking about? He said, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. The two what? The two. Going to be with the Lord, he's at the end of his life, or, or to stick around longer. He said, I am so pressed between this. Isn't it interesting? To go is gain, to stay is work. The work will produce something in your life. And notice what he said. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to de depart and be with Christ. And notice this. Before it was gain. Now, which is far better. Paul is struggling right here. With a decision. To go be with the Lord. Or stick around to help the Lord with his kingdom. But this was Paul's mentality through his whole life. And, he, and notice it said it was his choice. Some people just give up on life. You know, God doesn't have an appointed death time, though people think that. As a matter of fact, go read the book of Proverbs, and it tells you how you can extend your life longer or cut your days shorter. And so Paul said, I don't even know what I'm going to choose. Because this thing right here is staring me in the face. Now, here's a guy who had been caught up into heaven at least once that we know of. Besides having visions of the Lord, where the Lord appeared to him, and he's been there, he's seen it, and he said, man, there's a lot of pressure on me right now. And notice it goes on to say, in verse 24, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. I'm going to benefit more to go. Stay benefits you. Go benefits me far better. Stay benefits you. It's huge. And it was a real decision. I bet all those people are voting, please stay. We know what you've been doing everywhere you've been going. We know what your life means to the kingdom of God. We know that you are of value. Do not leave. We need something. 
They're probably thinking that way. But he's the one here, hard-pressed between the two. And he said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful to you. And being confident, verse 25, of this thing, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy of faith. Here's an interesting observation. The thing that he personally liked better, that he thought was more, more gain for himself, he said, this is the part I connect with, but I'm not looking at that. I'm going to look at this. What's best for you? What's best for the Lord? What's best for the kingdom? Remember, he changed at the beginning. He said, who are you? And then what do you want me to do? And then the Lord told him, I want you to go out and do this stuff to build my kingdom and do this stuff for me. He kept this mentality his whole life. You know what mentality it was? It was actually a heart condition. It was called love. Love seeks not its own rights, the Bible said, or its own ways, for it's not self-seeking. So Paul kept this non-self-seeking attitude in his life. When we start seeking our own, we start not looking at what's best for other people. We start getting blind to the big picture, and we start seeing just right what's in front of us. Peter called it short-sightedness even to blindness. In other words, we don't see the big picture. But when we look in love and walk in love, I mean, think about it. There was no personal benefit for him in this. All the thing that he desired most, he was willing to lay aside. And you can't tell me what he wanted was wrong. He didn't say, I want to go to hell. I want to go hang out at the bar. I just want to get smashed. You know, I've been, it's been a hard life. If I just go get drunk, that'd be awesome. He didn't stick around to think like that. He said, if I stick around, I'm doing what God wants. But he had this love that drove him. And we all have love. I believe this concerning the subjects that, that we're going to look at. I believe for the Christian, they speak into a deeper place. They speak into things that are deep down in the believer's life. Because ultimately, beyond your emotions, beyond the way your mind is and the way you process, if you've given your life to the Lord, there's something deep in you that calls out to know the Lord and calls out to do His plan. It's something God puts in us as believers. So these truths will connect with something beyond your emotions. They'll connect deep down inside, and they'll reach in there. Not me. The truth will, and it'll connect with something. And you may out of the inside go, that's what I want to do. That's connecting with something that God has inherently put in you. Because if there's anybody who wants you to do his will, it's him. And not only that, the Bible said in Philippians, he'll then work in you, just after this, as a believer, he'll work in you both to will and to want to do his good pleasure. So these truths have to connect with his inward working because these truths are about his plan for your life. His plan will be connected to a local body. It's not about going out and doing one big thing. It's about the process of life in the kingdom. And he had this down. I'm not living my life for me. I mean, you know, the smallest things can be acts of love. I'm going to go to bed early Saturday night because I need to be ready because I work in children's. I work at the door. I need to get my clothes ready because this. I've invited somebody, and I need to be there and save them a seat. And all these different things are small acts of love. 
I need to be ready when I get there. I haven't had the best week, but I know there's somebody who needs some encouragement and needs a, hey, how are you doing? It's good to see you here today. I just need to be there. That's an act of love. Just being here on a weekly basis. Because, you know, there are other people looking for friends in the kingdom, looking for other people who are making it in life, other people who are going forward with God. And, and they may be praying, Lord, I need a friend. I've given up all my friends. And you could be that friend, but you're like, oh, I'm just too busy this week. I've been too busy this last week and too busy and don't come. And you may be actually the answer to somebody else's prayer. But you say, well, I'm not that spiritual. That's okay. Not spiritual people can make huge influence. Talked about this, and we'll close with this on a prayer the other day. Sometimes people just underestimate what they can do and what they can start doing today. We looked at how great cities were won when the Lord was kicked out of one by a person who had been demon-possessed, didn't wear clothes. He gets set free by the Lord, and, the, and he said, I want to go be with you. And the people of the city said, you need to get out of this town, not to him, but to the Lord. And the Lord said, you can't come be with me. How many people said, I need to just pray more. I need to know more. No, we just need to start doing what we know now. So that man went back, did exactly what the Lord said. Said, just testify of me. Go tell him what the Lord's done. The next time the Lord comes back, the whole city's open. Here's what we need to understand. We need to look at examples that are in the Bible, and we're going to focus on this one of Paul because there's so much about his motives, what he did and what drove him. If we'll purpose to grow in love, it will, and get that as an underlying thing in our life, I'll tell you what, we'll be well on the course of finishing God's plan for our life.